Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Now, here's your host, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself, and it's late August here in Baltimore, and once again, we're working in Studio B of the Tabletop Journal Studios. We're back this week with another episode of Seat Yourself, and by the way, this episode, it's episode number 89, and we're publishing it on the week of August 24th, 2020, and this episode will probably run us, again, about 35 minutes or so. And for today's episode, we're going back to more of the issues facing the food service and hospitality industry today, and we'll be joined by a familiar face, that of Greg Kirish. Greg, of course, has been with us on several previous episodes of Seat Yourself, and he's also part of our other podcast, Every Other Thursday. I love having Greg with us, and I wanted him to join us today because he has, in my opinion, terrific insights into industry trends. And number two, he has a great way of condensing complicated and seemingly disparate pieces of information and articulating them in a clear and coherent manner that even I can understand. And for this week's episode, the overarching question I have for Greg is, is our industry already starting its comeback? And it's just not quite visible yet. And one final reason I love to have Greg with us is I know I'm always going to learn things. Whenever Greg is on our podcast, I'm so excited you can't imagine it. So I'm excited to have him join us here today on this episode of Seat Yourself. And speaking of this episode, really all episodes of Seat Yourself, I want to give a quick shout out to Edward Don and Company. They've been our sponsor in part for Seat Yourself since the very beginning, and we're very, very appreciative of all they do. Throughout all the turmoil of our industry at the moment, Edward Don and Company is getting ready to celebrate their 100th year in business next year. That's incredible to me, and it's pretty damn amazing. Edward Don and Company, everything but the food for nearly 100 years. But it won't be long before we're going to have to change that tagline. Be sure to head on over to their website, www.don.com. They've got some great ideas and certainly great products for operators of all types to keep your guests safe and satisfied during these very unprecedented times in our industry. And now, with all of that out of the way, let's get Greg Kirish in here and let's get this episode of Seat Yourself started. And we're here with Greg Kirish. Greg is, of course, our colleague from our other podcast, Every Other Thursday. Greg, welcome to Seat Yourself Again. It's always great having you here. You always bring a unique and great perspective on the topic of the day. Thanks, Dave. I always appreciate it when you invite me. This is going to be a little bit easier visit with us today, Greg, because this is going to be, I want to continue the conversation, as I said in the lead up uh, in the intro today. I want to continue the conversation we had the other day on every other Thursday. By the way, if any of you listeners out there of Seat Yourself have not checked out our podcast every other Thursday, you definitely should do so because we've had recently a bunch of uh, leadership people from the food service industry on, and they are just awesome, and we've got a bunch lined up in the future. So that's really a great podcast as well. So you may want to check out everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. But the question of today for you, Greg, is, is there a comeback underway already within the food service business. And it's just a little foggy. We can't quite see it yet. There's little, there's little flare-ups here and there. But uh, yeah, I know we have to take the first step before we can have a second. 
but is it possible that the comeback is already underway in food service and we just aren't, we aren't able to notice it so much? Well, I think there is in the sense that there's been a giant painful sorting out process. What do you mean by that? The operators that figured out how to survive are doing so. The ones that are aggressive, smart, not to say that the other ones that have failed weren't aggressive and smart, is you know, because there was a lot of luck involved, your location, what was happening with the COVID in, 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 in your locale, your clientele, I mean your financing, your landlord. So I'm not in any way demeaning anybody, but the operators that have survived seem to be getting it and they're lucky in many respects and doing well or at least as good as they can do in many respects and those guys it looks like they're going to make it the painful reading our process has happened and so the ones that have survived seem to be doing better and better so you can i guess in in that respect we've kind of turned turned a corner yeah i, I think in the early stages of uh, covid and i don't more you want to Feel like the early stages were whether it was mid-march end of march early april whatever but in that time frame it was just oh my god everybody was shocked and then, and then it was surviving and there was a point along the way it almost you almost could feel the landscape shifting a little bit to looking forward and not only do i want to survive but i want to look at how i might because this may go on a little bit longer i want to see how i can thrive a little bit here and maybe do more than just simply survive yeah and now now oh my god i i, I see lots of signs and they're all they're, they're, you know, here in the states they're regional kinds of things but there's all kinds of things going on and uh, i love the innovation i love what appear to me to be aggressive moves by certain people. And those are kinds of the little things that I think that tell me that it's possible that a comeback is already underway. And not in any way saying that it's going, it's going to be easy, but I do see a lot of positive things happening, a lot of innovation going on. Just as an example here, I live in a small, traditional village along Lake Michigan, north of Chicago. We have a guy, just before Christmas, End of last year, we got our first restaurant in this little village, believe it or not. Guy was doing a very good job. First ever? First ever. Wow. Must have, been a, must have been some pretty heavy zoning to keep it out around. Oh, yeah. And, and well, but we're surrounded by other villages that have, uh, and then we saw, and so we, and we did, we're so small, we didn't have the infrastructure for managing it. And, you know, the municipal, you know, it's not, you know, at least those are their excuses. And, anyways, this guy was doing well. And then the pandemic hits, and then he switches into emergency mode. And I've mentioned him before. He called Great Coast Commons, and he developed a great carryout takeout business. And what they did, he's worked with this village, and there's a boulevard next door, and it has a big green open space. And so from Wednesday to Sunday, he has put out picnic tables that are spaced. And has a uh, look. It appears to be a very good business. He brings out pizza ovens and drinks, and it's become a, a destination for the for this village. And people have a great time, and it seems to be safe. I guess the point is these innovations are happening. And here, the local government was was motivated to play along with it and support it. And so I see th I see a lot of positives like that going on. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of 
whether it be at the state level or the, or the local municipal level, there seems to be a lot of flexibility now with regards to food and beverage, carry out, drink. We, we talked about cocktails to go a lot here on Seat Yourself. But there seems to be a lot more flexibility and, and at least an attempt to understand that the restaurateur, the bars, the uh, pubs, the gastro uh, pubs or whatever, there's some understanding that they're small businesses too and that they, they're really hurting and that it's a time for everybody to sort of bend the rules a little bit or to see things in a certain way that they might not have before, cocktails to go being uh, uh, a good example. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug this guy because I think he's doing a great job. If anybody, if any, it's called Great Coast Commons, and I think people, other operators, might want to take a look at them at him online or in person to see what you know a good example of what you can be doing. Say the name again. Great Coast Commons. Okay, and and uh, they're, where are they? They're in Kenilworth. Kenilworth, Illinois. Okay. And they have a website, do you know? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. All right. Well, that's great. You know, one of the bigger innovations that I have fallen in love with, the concept that uh, Chili's, and I'm going to give a shout out to Ron Ruglis, who writes for Nation's Restaurant News. I like what Ron Ruglis does. And anybody who hasn't read his articles definitely should tune in tune in because he seems to be at the vanguard of a lot of things that are happening in the, in the, in the chain business in particular. But he has written a couple of articles, and the latest was just the other day, but it's on Brinker's. Brinker, of course, is the, the parent company of Chili's, Maggiano's, and a whole bunch more of other portfolio of uh, restaurants. But he's written a couple of articles on a, on a virtual brand that they just are in the process of launching called It's Just Wings. And It's Just Wings is interesting because, and I hope I get all this right, but It Just Wings is going to be done out of the back's back kitchens of Chili's and Maggiano's around the country. And if you're sitting in the Chili's having dinner, you cannot order off the It's Just Wings menu. You can only do that online, I believe, or uh, or over the phone. And I think they're partnering with DoorDash exclusively for the delivery of these wings. And, I, and there may be a pickup element to it too. But to me, with something like 3,000 units around the country, when you when you take into account the Chili's and Maggiano's brands, you know they've got 84% of them, I think, open, and they're they're really utilizing that space in a brand new way to deliver a simple product, a very narrowed down menu, and a product that is very very appealing to a broad segment of America. They've got the real estate, they've got the kitchens. They've got the delivery mechanism with DoorDash, and now they're going to go out and, excuse me, they, they've got a, about a thousand locations. I, I overstated that, but, but that's still a hell of a lot of locations, and that they're going into, and, and it's an amazing thing. They think it can be a $150 million annual business, and that, to me, is innovation. No real estate costs, no build-out costs, no nothing. Just create the menu, do the marketing, throw up a website, bang, you're in business. I love that. I love that innovation and that 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 agility, that speed to market too. It's like we said, the people are um, that have survived seem to be looking ahead and doing a lot of a lot of really neat things. Yeah, I mean, uh, w- one topic I wanted to touch on with you today. While the Chili's concept isn't exactly the ghost kitchen concept, it's pretty. It's sort of a hybrid. It's kind of close to that. 
except that they're doing their own ghost kitchen in the backs of these chilies or the Maggianos. But what do you think in just in terms of ghost kitchens in general? I know um, there's a lot of people that are testing them. The CEO from Uber has uh, poured a lot of money into it, um, the, the ex-CEO. Uh, over there. What do you think about ghost kitchens in general? In my mind, they make a lot they make a lot of sense. And one thing that's clear is on the other side of this whole COVID thing, the world is going to be a much different place. And so I see that ghost kitchens could, you know, are really going to expand and fit into that new world. Yeah, I, I think that it doesn't do much for the tabletop people, I have to say. But on the other hand, what I'm starting to see come out of all this is the people that that are are, are thinking big thinking uh, dramatic, and then taking and putting those thoughts and those ideas and those concepts into action. Those people that are really taking action and making things happen, and we'll see uh, who ends up being successful and who is not. But I, but I think that idea of quick thinking, agility, being nimble if you're a company. Now, I, when you think about Chili's, I, I wouldn't think a thousand unit chain, a part of a, a larger parent called Brinker, I wouldn't think them of them as being a quote-unquote nimble player, but all of a sudden they are. And I think ghost kitchens can do the same kind of thing. I think that's an example of that. And maybe there's ways for uh, other chains as well to, to jump in on that. I give them a lot of credit. It's a fascinating time. And one of the other things I want to talk about just before the break is I want to talk about the opportunities that now uh, that some people are seeing in uh, – in the restaurant business. And I want to stay on the restaurant business because the hotel business to me is a separate kettle of fish and has its own issues. And we'll talk about that after in the second segment. But one of the things that caught my eye was the owners of Fat Burger, basically a venture capital group that uh, owns Fat Burger and a couple other smaller chains. They acquired Johnny Rockets, the chain, uh, the hamburger chain, mm -hmm. and they acquired them for $25 million. Now, to me, every dollar is important. But $25 million to get the Johnny Rockets chain, which has global uh, units all around the world, that doesn't seem like a lot of money to me. And I, and I think that there's when I see stuff like that, I go, hmm. And maybe you can call them bottom fishers or whatever. But I think that that says that there are people, uh, people with money are seeing opportunity in the near future in the restaurant business. And that's what tells me. I look at things like that and I say, one more sign that possibly this comeback is just around the corner. What do you think about all that? I agree. You know, I who knows what the what the financing was and 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 the financial situation of Johnny Rockets and their landlord, the rental situation, etc. So it's hard to just sit here and, and and make generalizations. But despite Anthony Bourdain's savaging of that of that brand in the past, it is uh, like you said, well established, international. A known brand, so a good platform, it seems to me, to springboard from. And I, and I think the, the holding company uh, that bought them now uh, has expanded its portfolio to about 700, 800 units. Uh, so I, I, it's not, so now they can, I mean, at least in theory anyway, and you always, the theory is one thing, putting it into practice is something else, but you should be able to negotiate better deals on advertising with supplier deals, whether it be Cisco, US Food, whatever whoever may be bringing the food in the back and also non-food and tabletop and things like that, of course, too. But they seem to be good. Uh, this group seems to be good at uh, fat brands, as they're called. Uh, fat brands seems to be pretty good at bringing, I'll call them down and out, 
brands like uh, Ponderosa, Bonanza Steakhouses, things like that, bringing them into into the fold. And now they've just brought uh, Johnny Rockets in for $25 million. That's pretty good, I think. I, th- I think that uh, I mean going back to the earlier part of our conversation is like you know it's nimbleness. So here it sounds like yep. an organization that has vision and obvious expertise and and speed. And uh, if they can get a an organization that might have been doing very well but became a diamond in the rough, hey, it, it sounds like it sounds like a, a great combination. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of that probably percolating about right now and some of which we may know already and, and other other announcements to come. But to finish up this segment on a little bit of tabletop and non-foods in the food service business, I think this probably also happening in the tabletop world too. And we've talked about uh, this shoe called the commercial real estate shoe that's, a, that's probably in the process of dropping on a lot of people right now. Four or five months ago, you had COVID, which stopped all business and for restaurants and and, and and certainly all the suppliers to that business run right off a cliff. And now we're three or four months down the line. And if you, you don't have, if you don't own your own distribution facility and you have a landlord and you haven't paid your rent in three or four months, that bill is probably coming due about now. And it's probably going to continue. There's probably going to be negotiation, of course, because landlords don't want to lose tenants, particularly good tenants. But at the end of the day, landlords have their own lenders to satisfy. So and, and the difference between suppliers to the restaurant business and the restaurants themselves, if your lease is coming due and you haven't paid, uh, if your rent is due for the last three or four months and you haven't paid any of it in your restaurant, that developer, that landlord may in fact know that, realize that they need a restaurant there to attract people to sell the rest of the development. On the supplier side, it's a bit different. You may be in an industrial park. You may be in a um, facility that is, sits out remotely on some inexpensive land, whatever. And they may feel that they can uh, they can uh, squeeze the suppliers harder. So I think that on the, going back to the original point, in the non-food side of the food service business, I think that there are a lot of smaller and medium-sized suppliers that may uh, may be running into some very difficult waters right about now. And so we may be seeing some of this consolidation roll up, whatever you want to call it, happening very quickly there as well. What do you think about the non-food side? You know, I guess they go hand in hand. And, and you know, non-food, as we, we've been saying, you know, they, they're getting hit harder than every than everybody else because of uh, you know our, our restaurants going to be fo- you know when they focus on t- takeout carry carry out uh, you know you're going to be you're going to be dealing a lot less with the uh, non well the the kind of permanent uh, tabletop items that we often focus on I mean sure you're going to have more paper goods disposables that type of thing but uh, so I guess I guess what I'm saying here is that there's going to a rising tide lifts all boats. If the restaurant industry is surviving and going to be expanding, it will lift up non-food items. But there might be a shift in and what those items those items are might be more more disposables, of course, etc. Which isn't to say that there is no uh, hope for uh, permanent tabletop items. We've been talking about. How even in, in these hard, in these tough times, or maybe especially because of these tough times, the um, permanent tabletop items, dinnerware, cutlery, all that stuff that's on tables is 
part of the whole branding and it's very and, and the experience which 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 the operators shouldn't forget about you know i know they're dealing with like really big issues right now but all these details with the non-food items are really make a big difference yeah and i think now more than ever people are dining out for that experience of dining out and we i mean it's always been true i think that that uh, dining restaurant guests Nobody's going to restaurants for sustenance so much. They're going for some sort of experience and spend spend time with family and friends and those that they love. And little things matter when it comes to experiences. And I think uh, we've said it all along on Seat Yourself is that tabletop and the things that go, uh, accessorial type things that go uh, on on the tabletop, that all major play a major role in delivering that a great experience to the dining out guests. Okay, we're here with Greg Kirish. Greg is our colleague on our other podcast every other Thursday, and uh, I'd encourage you to uh, check that out sometime if uh, if you're looking around for some great uh, insights on the food service business. We've got some, we've had some great guests on there recently, but that's every other Thursday podcast.com. and we're going to be right back with Greg in just a minute. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back and we'll keep this conversation going. This episode of Seat Yourself is sponsored in part by the Edward Don and Company. Everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And if you have not yet signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, now would be a great time to do so. Go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's a quick and easy sign up and a great way to stay on top of all the important going-ons in the world of hospitality tabletop. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Seat Yourself. We're in our second segment here, and we've got Greg Kirish with us today. Greg, of course, is our, our colleague from our other podcast, Every Other Thursday. And we're talking about the idea that is it possible that there's a comeback underway already in the food service and hospitality business? And it's just a little bit difficult to see it clearly at the moment. And the reason I, I posed that question to Greg, it's a conversation we've had in our other podcast every other Thursday. But I, the reason to, to bring that up is, is there seems to me to be signs of it all over the place. And I'll reference an article that was put in the New York Post a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago. And it's contrary to that. And it talks about how New York City is going to die is the word they use if they don't allow indoor dining in Manhattan ASAP. That was the headline. New York City will die if we don't allow indoor dining in Midtown Manhattan ASAP. And I think that's a little dramatic. And I think it flies in the face certainly of is there a comeback underway? Because not long after that or around that same time, there is a uh, another story talking about developers who are buying up spaces in New York for openings of various eating and drinking concepts in next year's, uh, in the spring of next year, in the middle part of next year. And again, in the places all in Manhattan that you might expect on the on the west side. So Greg, I guess the question again is, is while we may be in a comeback, it's likely we're gonna see some pain still, isn't it? Oh yeah, I think that it, it's obvious, you know, everything is, is evolving and a lot of, there's a lot of speculation going on. But I see a lot of people that are optimistic. 
and investing looking looking forward. And you know, and, and it's hard to make generalizations, obviously, because every locale is different. I, and you look at New York City, where it's you know you have such incredible population density, like in Manhattan, where you know you hear about. A building, a skyscraper has typically 8,500 people working in it. And now there's just 500 in this little, you know, in a perhaps one block footprint. And, you know, that's going to have incredible influence and impact on the local food service seen both in that building and, and around. Whereas in other areas, suburban areas, for example, you know, it's much more spread out and, and, you know, easier to get to. And I know I'm just, I'm speaking to the, I'm speaking to the obvious right now that each locale has to be seen differently, but, but generally speaking, there's, you know, there's, I think there's tremendous innovation going on and, 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 and concepts that were going kind of like, why didn't we do this sooner? And I know that the, you know municipal governments are uh, they're motivated now to cha- start changing some rules to helping people like with the the carry out cocktails and the um, alfresco seating that that perhaps in a lot of places weren't allowed. I hope this goes. I hope that after we we come out of this, that you know the lesson is learned to give uh, operators more flexibility. So to answer your question, I do see a lot of positives. Uh, going on, yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of lifestyle trends too that are that are adding to this this comeback that is sort of in slow motion in some cases. But it's I, to me the comeback is definitely happening, it, it, and it's taking lots of forms. And one of the things I found interesting was uh, there's a market research firm called NPD Group. People may be familiar with them. If you're not, you might want to check them out. But uh, they've just published some information. They're talking about adults that are 65 and older. And how that age group is becoming much more familiar with certainly internet in general, but also ordering online and delivery program using delivery services. So through through the lockdown, through the COVID period, older Americans are increasing their use of delivery and ordering online. And I think that if if uh, operators do have do not have a well oiled pickup delivery system, they need to. And, and we just talked about some pain coming. If you don't have one of those in place already, you're probably going to have some pain or you're not going to be as successful anyway as some of your people, some of the people that do have well-oiled delivery and pickup uh, you know, food-to-go programs. There's a constant issue of operators trying to basically train their, their guests. And in this case, the pandemic has forced behavioral changes where people, if they want to, if they want to get the food, they have to do it differently than they used to. This creates opportunities. And I also think this too. This has long-term ramifications uh, in terms of when operators look to expand, when chain units uh, look to expand their uh, their locations at post-COVID, whenever that is, whenever you think that's going to happen. I think you'll probably look at smaller footprints because that 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 uh, real estate piece uh, that you have to lay down for that's a fixed cost and if uh, if if there's any time when volumes may fluctuate getting that fixed cost down I think is really really important I know uh, chains like cheesecake factory they were experimenting and I don't know if it's still open but they were experimenting with uh, a unit in Port Wyoming California last year that was uh, half the size of the regular cheesecake factory footprint. And I think that as we've gone on through COVID, 
people have gotten more adept at ordering online and, and using delivery services. And also at the same time, that certainly is a less of a uh, willingness or an excitement about dining on premise. People, that safety issue, people, if I can get that food and eat in my home, I feel much safer. Yeah. And so it's, 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 you're driving things in a new direction. I know it sounds it sounds Pollyanna, and and I again I, I I constantly say this. I don't want to come across as flippant, especially in these in these tough times. But there's always some some opportunity, some silver lining to the dark clouds. Whether you're an, an operator, restaurant operator, whether you're a uh, restaurant supplier, or, or you're a manufacturer of tabletop items that sell to restaurants, I think the idea of being agile you know, adjusting your business quickly, making decisions. I think that's really, really key at this point. And the idea of decisions that you might have uh, wrung your hands and done some research on and taking months to do before COVID, now uh, you better be doing it in days and weeks rather than that, rather than uh, months and years and thinking things through. I think there'll be a scaling down, just like there's a scaling down of menus and I think there'll be a scaling down of product offerings from uh, from suppliers, particularly tabletop suppliers. And yeah, I think it, it's all about agility and being nimble and making uh, decisions and going with them. And I know that our listeners, probably several of them are kind of rolling their eyes now saying, oh, this is all very blatantly obvious. But it wasn't so blatantly obvious just a couple of months ago. And, and the people that have done well in many cases, not entirely, but in many cases, is because they have been doing all these things, and they need to continue. And they need to continue to to do it to to grow. And these are, you know, they're very ba- they're, they they may seem really overly simplistic and basic, but these are the kind of ideas that are really going to make a, di- a difference and 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 continue to sort out the winners in the future. Yeah, I think uh, on every other Thursday, we've always talked about operators and how they need to be quick with their decision making and they need to be uh, flat in their organizations and all that stuff. But all those things, all those things uh, apply to the supplier side as well. And uh, I think the ones that can keep from keep themselves from being overwhelmed, and it's very easy in these days and times to be worried, still worried about survival, especially if you've got a landlord who's squeezing you. You're trying to uh, keep from losing your talent that you had on board. And that's a big issue right now. But if all these things are, uh, are pressing on you, it's very easy to get caught up in, uh, and, and be slightly overwhelmed. So what we're saying is, is that keep the vision, modify it, change it. And if it needs to be changed again tomorrow, change it again and go. Be rapid in that decision making have smaller t- decision-making teams. And whether you're an operator, or whether you're a supply chain person, or you're a manufacturer, you've got to move. And moving quickly, for those who can, it's, it's really going to be helpful for them right now. And I know it's easier said than done, but don't forget about drilling down to the details. It's still about the guest experience. And you're not just shoveling food out the front door. It's about the experience. And so all these things and, and I know it's, uh, it sounds uh, that we're focusing on ourselves here to a certain extent, but tabletop remains a critical issue, and it always will be. Well, Greg, you, you've made a real good argument over on every other Thursday about this, keeping things simple. The, the small things that you do have that have big impact. Think small. Yeah, yeah think small. I, I think that's really key, and particularly in tabletop. There's certain things you can do to change change that experience because 
you're right. The guest experience is still what it's all about. And if somebody feels safe and comfortable when they come into your restaurant for the first time in a long while, uh, they're likely to come back and they're likely to tell other people too. Same same things matter. Well, for example, this just came to mind. I, I, I mentioned in our first segment about this, uh, my local uh, restaurant here that's doing such a, a great job out in the, out in the uh, green space in a, in a, of a local boulevard and in the evenings with, uh, with picnic tables. And he's serving drinks in disposable cups. And I understand why. Does I absolutely understand why? But you think about that. You know, on a nice hot summer night, you know, people are gathering there, and they're you know, they're they're socially distancing. He's making wood fired pizzas, and wouldn't it be great to be serving cocktails and wine and really nice glassware out there? It truly would add another dimension. Now I understand that's going to be a big cost to him, and operationally it could be difficult, but. These are the kind of things that I think people need to be weighing. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you totally, because I think this this issue of humans connecting with other humans is really more critical than ever. We've had some uh, See Yourself episodes where we talked about mental health. And I think for the uh, everybody's peace of mind and mental positive mental health, that connection process needs to continue to uh, occur. And however you do it. Uh, I think restaurants, I, uh, I still submit restaurants are an incredibly important part of the social fabric of any community. Probably more now than ever. Yeah. I mean, it's cheap therapy to go and have a glass of wine with a good friend or a family member you haven't seen in a while and spend some good time with. Uh, uh, or maybe even if, if you've been locked down uh, with a spouse or a significant other or somebody you care about, taking them uh, someplace and changing that scenery and sharing a good glass of wine and some, maybe some music. That's great if you can do that. So that's why restaurants are so critical to the uh, social fabric of our country and certainly of the, of the communities that we all live in and, and enjoy living in. And it shouldn't be a drill down experience where, okay, I just go down and I, I, I'm, I can, thank goodness I can just get out. And if, if you could elevate it slightly, even slightly with, uh, you know, glassware, permanent tabletop items, it'll ma- it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Well, I think that if somebody has been a regular customer uh, of a restaurant for a, for a while pre-COVID, and now they're going back maybe for the first time or first time in a while, I think to have something fresh and interesting, the menu has probably changed, and to have a different serving piece, a different glass, maybe the wine list that used to be you know, multiple pages long. Now maybe it's just, uh, maybe there's a, you know, 12 to 18 bottles to choose from, some reds, some whites, and maybe a few sparklers. Change it up. Have a great glass, Change a different glass maybe. Maybe now you want to logo the glass so you control the pour issue on it. And those kinds of things, are re- they really come into play. And I think we're all looking for that fresh new uh, experience. So yeah, I totally agree. One of the things that it, it popped in my head when we were talking about simplicity before, you made, in one of the early on segments of Every Other Thursday, you made a point that I thought was just so sort of a duh kind of moment. Uh, walking in your uh, near your where you live, Greg, you talked about an operator who was open for business, but yet it was hard to tell if you were just driving by in a car. Right. You talk about a sandwich board, maybe some balloons on it, whatever. Those kinds of it, it doesn't sound like rocket science, but you got to remember that's marketing today. People aren't. They want to have a reason to come to your restaurant. So operators, 
put a sandwich board out, keep the windows clear of all the, uh, the paraphernalia that you might post up in a window or whatever. And yes, everybody I think by now realizes you probably need to wear a mask. So you can probably get rid of the sign or maybe make it smaller and more discreet. So make it inviting is the point. And I think those kinds of simple methods, tabletop people can come along with help with that. And if I were a tabletop salesperson, whether I was a uh, dealer or some manufacturer, I would be talking about freshness of experience and talking about how my product lines played into that as well. Think small. Think small. Great. Greg, it's been great having you here. And I think uh, I can go ahead and say now, uh, we both agree that there is probably a comeback already beginning with the idea that you always have to take first steps before you can take seconds. But in no way, shape or form do we want to say that the pain is over for operators, uh, supply chain people, or manufacturers in this business. Uh, there will be more, but on the other hand, the good news is uh, you can start to see the sun peeking out through the dark clouds we've been living under. So it's been great having you with us, Greg Kears. Again, you can catch Greg on our other podcast, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Greg Kears, everybody. Thanks, Greg, for having us. Always a pleasure to have you join us. Thank you. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, please be sure to check out www.tabletopjournal.com.